0: Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is songwriter and educator Andrea Stolp. First of all, the social media universe in 2020. It's huge. There are 3.8 billion people worldwide now on social media. That's more than half the world. Now, the interesting thing is these aren't just people that have downloaded the app. These are monthly active users. So social media is huge. But when I tell you the top 10 social media networks, you'll probably be surprised. First is Facebook. Of course, that kind of makes sense. WhatsApp is second. YouTube is third. Messenger is fourth. WeChat is fifth. Instagram is sixth. TikTok is seventh. QQ is eighth. Weibo is ninth. And Qzone is 10th. Now you're going to say, I never heard of a bunch of those. That's right, because you're not Chinese. WeChat, TikTok, QQ, Weibo, and Qzone are all Chinese social networks and they're huge. Facebook has 2.6 billion people on the network, these are monthly active users. And you would think, well, US is probably the biggest user, but that's not true. It's actually India, 290 million people. In the U.S. it's only 190, Indonesia is 140, Brazil, and Mexico. So those are the top five users. WhatsApp has 2 billion people, YouTube has 2 billion, Messenger has 1.3, and Instagram has 1.1. WeChat from China, again, is 1.2 billion. Now the interesting thing here is Facebook, WhatsApp, Messenger, and Instagram are all owned by Facebook. So Facebook has a monopoly on the top five but China has monopoly on the bottom five. Now, what's interesting here is I haven't mentioned Twitter. I haven't mentioned Reddit. I haven't mentioned a lot of social networks that we're kind of used to here in the United States. And that's because we're talking worldwide here. So things are quite different out there. Just because you know a social network really well, just because your fans may be in that social network, it also means that there may be a lot of other people out there on other social networks that can be your potential fan as well. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at BobbioInnerCircle.com. You can also sign up for my free vocal mixing techniques mini course at Bobby com and download free ebooks and PDFs on mixing, production, mastering, and social media at bobbyosinski.com forward slash free dash resources. Now, if you remember 100 episodes or so ago, I talked about the fact that guitar sales were way down. They're down by 33%. This is in 2017. And the future of the electric guitar especially was kind of in doubt. We don't have modern guitar heroes like we used to have. There aren't as many garage bands. And it made you think, well, wait a second, what's actually happening with the electric guitar? Believe it or not, COVID has been great for guitar playing in general. Fender, Taylor, Martin, and Gibson are all having record years. As a matter of fact, this is the biggest year in Fender's history. Online guitar instruction is huge. Fender Play, their instruction app, went from 150,000 users to almost a million in three months. Now, it turns out that 20% of guitar buyers are under the age of 24, and 70% are under the age of 45. 45% of all guitar buyers these days are female, and guitar manufacturers are selling everything that they can make. Now, there's a couple reasons for this. First of all, we've had a lot more time during COVID, during the pandemic. Second of all, guitar playing is therapeutic. There's a calm that playing will give you that's kind of in the middle of the digital storm. So it feels good to do this. It feels good to focus your mind on something that's physical, that gets you away from a computer screen. The big question here is, is this going to last? Now that we're all slowly getting back to work, are the boom times for guitar going to last? We shall see, but all I can say is that guitar awareness and guitar playing is coming back around again. It's a great instrument. It's an easy instrument. It's an instrument that doesn't require a lot of maintenance, and it's an instrument that will last a lifetime. That's a pretty good buy in my estimation. My guest this week is songwriter and educator Andrea Stolp who's written songs for Faith Hill, Julianne Hough, Daniel Lee Martin, Jimmy Wayne, and others. She's also worked as a staff writer for EMI, Elmo Irving, and Universal Music Publishing. Andre teaches songwriting at the University of California's Thornton School of Music and is the author and instructor of Berklee College of Music's online course, Commercial Songwriting Techniques. Her book, Popular Lyric Writing, 10 Steps to Effective Storytelling offers songwriters a practical approach to lyric writing according to each writer's unique voice and the ability to finish songs with greater ease and consistency. She also offers songwriter retreats both online and in person. During the interview, we talked about what it means to be a staff writer, the songwriter as a producer, if the lyrics or the music should come first, placeholder lyrics, and much more. I spoke with Andrea via Zoom from a home in Los Angeles. let's go back to the beginning. Tell me how you got started in the music business.
1: Man, Well, I was very, very lucky. Um, I found Berkeley College of Music when I was 18. And so right out of high school, uh, I, I knew that, you know, if I was going to give this music thing a try, I should go there. And that was back in 1995. So there really weren't other programs that were available at that point like there are now in the popular music industry. So I went to Berkeley. And um, like a lot of folks who go to Berkeley, it's the faculty members that introduce you to what kind of a career you could possibly have. And so that's what uh, took me to Nashville, and fell in love with the idea of being paid to write songs. I mean, who gets to do that? So I mean, the thought of being a, an artist in the industry was overwhelming, to say the least. You know, I had no idea. How would you just go out and be an artist? What does that even mean? Um, and so being a songwriter uh, was kind of my, my plan A uh, as I figured things out. So I went to Nashville and at that po- time, um, you know, worked as, a, as a, at a couple of temp agencies and at the same time just wrote with everybody that I could and then... From there, I ended up getting a deal, a staff writing deal. And so that's how I got my start. And honestly, it was uh, kind of no fault of my own that I got the deal, too. It was my husband who worked at Mars Music at the time. And he always gave me the cassette tape of mine in his back pocket. And whoever would come in buying pro audio who looked like they knew what they were doing or at least had the means, um, he'd give them one of my cassette tapes. And so one of the uh, songwriters who bought gear from him actually listened to it and gave us a call back and said, you know, I think there's something there. I don't know what to do with her yet, but um, let's just meet and talk and see where you're at.
0: Tell me about your staff writing gigs. I'm curious, what does a staff writer actually do?
1: Well, the neat thing about being a staff writer is, you know, is also the tough thing, is it's your job to basically understand the brand of uh, of an artist and write for them. Write something that they can't write on their own, you know? And so in the Nashville industry, of course, lyrics are a main driver of the songs that we write. And so a good part of that job is to put yourself in as many writing situations in which you can write, of course, songs that are accessible within Nashville and crossover pop um, market, which means that lyrics are your friend. They have to become your friend pretty quick. Um, So as a staff writer, um, my first deal was with EMI, uh, Music Publishing, and I wrote... Um, I had a, a perfect situation because another songwriter signed to EMI signed me. So I had a co-pub deal. Part of my publishing went to EMI. The other part went to um, the, the seasoned writer there who was overseeing what I was doing. So he and I wrote together weekly. And then I also uh, wrote with as many other writers as I could. Um, and then every uh every month or so met with my song plugger there who was assigned to me and we would talk about the songs edit the songs um, talk to the publishers of the co-writers on my songs and determine which songs we should demo that he would plug Um, and over the course of a year of course at that time I had I think my contract was I had to turn in 12 whole songs so a collaboration would count as you know half or a third, whatever my part was, and um, and deliver. So I was there for two years, and I got dropped like a rock from that deal, you know. Which which is is pretty common, right? You don't usually your first deal is is a bit of a stepping stone. Uh, at least back then, the beauty of nineteen ninety eight or ninety nine was that um, you know you could you could spend some time developing. And trying to understand, what is this market? What does that mean to write in a country music realm? Uh, I, for one, had never grown up listening to country. So it was all about the craft of writing uh, for me. And that, that that was the challenge, was really to understand, how does what I do connect with what's culturally relevant in this genre?
0: How long did it take before you felt that you were good at what you're doing?
1: Oh gosh, how many years has it been? I don't think I feel like I'm good, good, good at what I'm doing yet. Um, I'm constantly getting more critical, more and more critical, more understanding more and more where problems are resulting in the songs that I write and when to let go and just let things lie. So I think part of um, being good is determining um, what is going to connect. With the listener, and sometimes you know, in terms of lyric writing, a um, a, a a a watered down—not to be a negative thing—just chillin vibe in the lyric with a great groove is exactly what I need to be writing. And sometimes a really dense, sensory lyric that tells a great story um, with a very minimal. Uh, or, or let's say, you know, just very diatonic or four chord progression is exactly what I need to write. So I used to have the sense that if it's not complicated or hard to write, then it's not good. And I think once I got over that and just started to, to think about, well, what would I write if I, if I really enjoyed what I was listening to, what I was writing, what would that sound like? That's when I started to feel like I was getting good at what I was what I was doing. And that took a long time.
0: (laughs) I've known a lot of professional songwriters. Uh, I've written with some of them, but I don't never consider myself even close to it or a songwriter for that matter. But there was a different work ethic. And what was interesting was the fact that the real pros that I know are always working and they're always collaborating and there's always something going on and there's not... So much of a break, ever. Yeah. So how do you develop that work ethic?
1: Oh, man, it'll drive you crazy, right? Well, um, how do you develop that? Not having a plan B, that's a good way, right? You got to eat, so you got to make music. You know, I think the idea that writing uh, with that kind of a work ethic has to be um, obsessive. You know, for some folks, I think it is, for me, um, I'll get in a zone where I write in short bursts and I'm just as effective, if not more effective than if I do five hour stretches. And I think um, what that, th- th- I didn't get to that point until I absolutely had to, till I had uh, family. Then it, you know, it was impossible. I couldn't go out and write anytime I wanted. And, and do those long stretches and drive to Glendale and then, you know, hang out at the studio till two in the morning. It just wasn't happening. So for me, I had to think a little bit more like an entrepreneur and think, well, what can I do to become more efficient and effective with the time that I do have? And so, um, that involved becoming, um, uh, more clear about the tools I was going to use, the craft I was going to use. Before, I had time to just fumble around. Now, I have a title carefully. I have to choose my groove carefully. Do I really want to work on this this project? Is this going to be it for me for today? Um, I do exercises like um, a 15-minute uh, brainstorming, which is completely separate from the editing of the song, puzzling together the pieces. And so, the creative process is what I focus on a lot more, and I have a much more of a framework than I ever did before. Whereas before it was more artsy, and I would just go with the flow. Now I have specific um, goals for each session, where I, I sit down and I say, "I'm going to write this verse and chorus in 20 minutes," and that's what it's going to be. So that helps. Is there's there are quite a lot of uh, specific exercises we can do to frame this, the, the amount of time that we have and get something down rather than uh, waiting for the next bolt of inspiration to strike.
0: One of the things I've always noticed is really good songwriters are also really good producers because they have to do really good demos in order to sell songs. That's not an easy thing to develop because you have to be a really good producer and an arranger. The, the songs just sound great right from the top, but that's also a skill that takes some time to learn.
1: It is a skill. And I have not ever pursued developing that skill to the degree to which I've pursued being a a songwriter. And so I think that there's um, certainly an element of joy in coming up with production ideas or having production ideas. But I prefer to work with people who are as skilled as producers as I am at songwriting. (laughs) To me, that's the ultimate situation. And I do that through getting tracks from other people. I do that through starting to write a song and then taking that those bits that I have and playing an album in the background and reimagining my bits over that bit. And so it's being influenced by other people's art because there's there's it's it's really an undue amount of stress to say I'm gonna originate something production-wise with my songs that would even rival, you know, what some of my favorite producers that I get to work with would do.
0: Okay, here's a question for you. This is probably the age-old question. What comes first, music or lyrics? And I ask this Mm. for a reason, because there's so many successful songwriters that will do the music first and will put placeholder lyrics there and develop them later. So where do you come down on that?
1: So, um... That, that definitely is the age-old question, and people ask it for different reasons. Some people, you know, how can I be more effective? How can I finish more songs? I'm tired of not finishing songs because, you know, when you write the music first and you're in love with your music, it's just you don't want to, nothing you can squeeze in there lyrically is going to satisfy this great music you've got. And sometimes we have the off- opposite problem. Ultimately, I would love for my music and my lyrics to come at the same time. and marry seamlessly, you know, but that's not always a reality either. The way that I like to look at it is that some songs begin for me with the leading element. So some songs are simply melodically driven and I come up with a melody and I love the melody and now I have to come to that space where I decide. Is the placeholder lyric is what I'm coming up with in a reasonable amount of time satisfactory? Because very, very few songs that I listen to are hitting a ten out of a ten in terms of melody, lyric, groove, vocal performance. Um, you know, just chord progression. I mean, we try to get um, we we try for those magical moments as much as possible. Um, but there can be no magic whatsoever if I don't finish and demo the song. So whatever comes first is usually what I feel most competent writing. When I hear songwriters um, nowadays, you know, who, who play, you can almost tell sometimes what they started with. You can hear lyrics crammed into spaces they, they, they can't fit in. Or you hear a really dull melody, and, and the, but the lyric story, you know, they're saying what they want to say. And ultimately, you know, how do you gauge? I, there's there's Springsteen songs that I love musically, and there are songs that clearly, the melody takes a back seat. You know, Atlantic City. It's it's just one note. Hmm. But who's to say that that one note isn't exactly what it needed? Because the lyric is what I'm focused on at that moment in time.
0: I have a pet peeve against one four five songs. You do? Yes, because it seems lazy to me. It just seems like it's so obvious but that being said there are songwriters that can make you forget it's a one four five song or there are songs that are like that that i realized later oh well that's what that was geez why didn't i notice that before but there's some that are so obvious it just seems like it, this is lazy to me
1: yeah 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 i, I mean thank god for the, the one four five tom petty wouldn't have a career <laughs> um You know, the word in songwriting that we use is prosody. Prosody is this funny little word that just describes the agreement between the music, musical message, and the lyrical message. And sometimes that one, four, five can come across trite, like you said, lazy, and not at all express the message that we feel is there in the lyric. And so the music is always, always going to trump the lyric. The music tells us how to feel the lyric message. And the lyric message is, gonna, is never going to say to the music, yes, I understand you feel dramatic, I understand you feel this, but I'm saying this, you know, it's not going to happen. And so when that's happening, I think, yeah, the songwriter is not keying into the, the soul of the lyric and really asking, how does this message sound musically? Uh, we're just, probably relying on the the chords that we know and the cadences that are familiar to us instead of exploring that idea.
0: Hmm. Well, let's talk about you as a teacher for a second. I know from my experience, and I teach recording and mixing and stuff like that, and what happened to me is there came a point where I began to think deeper about it rather than everything being intuitive You begin to think why is this the way it is so when did that happen for you where you began to analyze the process of what you're doing
1: i still sit and peel away layers and realize the connections between elements of songwriting for example i used to just rhyme two words and feel very lucky if the right word came up and it happened to carry the right consonant and vowel sound now I realize there was a lot more going on with rhyme. A rhyme creates closure. It says these ideas are finished. This agrees. Very much like a cadence musically. Perfect rhyme, cat hat, is like four to a five to a one. But uh, cat and, um, and uh, mad is like, flat six major, five major, one, you know. And the more you pull at these words, the looser the connection and the more body language that's there in the message. So then you start looking at songs like Don Henley's End of the Innocence and you start to see these rhymed words and length of lines where the rhyme comes earlier than you expect or delayed, not where you thought it would be. And you start to realize, oh my gosh, it's uh, 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 it's just this, I was never aware of that body language. I was like a, a foreign exchange student, you know, amb- ambling through the halls of the high school, writing my little songs, you know, and that's what they sounded like. It was like someone from another planet trying to emulate how these people act and, you know, and, and speak. And so over the years, picking apart these tools, Wondering why a two-major chord is so effective right before you go into a chorus, and then I try it out one, you know, one tool at a time. Uh, And also being uh, married to a mix engineer helped a lot with different influences and musical interests and recognizing that a lot of the same things he's controlling through mixing are some of the same ideas that I'm trying to control through songwriting. But it's a constant process, you know, constantly, because every song I write and every song I listen to from other songwriters is a problem to solve. It's a situation I didn't expect to find myself in where I can solve it melodically, I can solve it rhythmically, I could solve it with a chord. I could, you know, and, and so um, I find that so interesting and, and uh, just freeing. Um, to work through that in my own songs, but also with other people and uh, and help them understand the variety of ways that they can approach any situation that they're in that feels like a straitjacket. You know, what if you didn't rhyme? What if you didn't rhyme at all? What if you left your chord progression unresolved? Where would that take you? So it's it's really amazing.
0: Well, I was just going to ask you though, is rhyme necessary? I think you, you kind of went over that, but Sometimes it seems to me, again, it's forced, and a forced rhyme is no fun. A forced rhyme sounds forced. It's just like, couldn't you spend more time and figure something else out?
1: Right, right. No, I absolutely agree, and we know it, right? So much of what I do as a teacher is calling out the songwriter on things that he or she already knows. You know, you know, when you're when you're just not being honest mm-hmm. and your character, whether it's I or you or whatever the point of view is just not believable at that moment anymore. You know, we just don't want to look at it because we'll come up with all kinds of excuses. Well, Katy Perry did it in this song and that happened. In this happened. Yes. But at the same time, what if we had tools that we could we could use to fix it? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if you didn't if it didn't take five hours? And that's one of the troubles with, um, you know, when we get feedback uh, from, from folks, when we get critique from a publisher or, or other songwriters, uh, it can be a, a deflating experience because the critique most often comes without a tool on how to fix it. You know, I used to go home thinking, oh, my God, how, you know, I got to start over. How could I possibly iron out this storyline when there's so many things that seem to be going wrong? So anybody can tell you what's wrong, you know, with your with what you've created. And I think the key is, you know, like you, you asked about rhyme is to just become aware of where you feel uncomfortable when you're playing your song for someone else. <laughs> you know, as the first play for somebody and notice when you you wish you could disappear. That's a problem area. Take a look at what's going on there. And the more we sing things, the more we convince ourselves that it's okay. So it's that first that first indication that something's not right. That's the voice to listen to.
0: How difficult is it to teach songwriting?
1: Well, apparently, it's pretty difficult because I've ran across quite a lot of, you know a lot of us will say the same things over and over again. There's wonderful books out there, many of many, many books on. Uh, uh, how to write and song form and you know everything rhyme and rhythm and all of that i think what's really helpful you know once you've written the box once you understand section from another once you've explored um uh how do i organize a story how much of the story can i tell without it being too much where do i begin uh, after you've written 20 or 30 songs, let's say, then I think a lot of the work is not so much about how to how to write that hit song, because there's, there's a lot of tutorials, right, about how to write a hit. And that's writing in the box. But once you've written the box, you know, then it's kind of like, well, what is unique about my process? What can I leverage about my process to make my songs stand out and feel like they're me? So for me I know that despite having gone to Berkeley, I and and despite I was a grew up as a classical piano player and I was fine. I, you know, did my hour a day of practice and whatnot, but was never gonna be even near good enough to go towards a career in in performance. Similar to that, I've spent twenty five years trying to understand why lyrics work. What can, and I'm still missing pieces of it, of course. But what's really challenging, I think, is to help people understand what they're doing and, uh, again, options. So, even this idea of use more sensory language in your songs, you know, that would be something a publisher might say to try to teach writing. But how do you do that? How do you know what sensory language to include? How do you know where in the song to put it? And so that requires, I think, just some, um, a lot of listening and observing and feeling, you know, how do we tell a story at all? Well, you don't end with the small detail, you end with the summarizing thought. It's the same thing with songs. And so I think there's a lot of listening uh, and, and just a lot of uh, quiet observance that goes on, it should go on, before anyone would even begin to teach songwriting unless you're just going to say here's the here the hit songwriting tools take it and run with it and see where it takes you
0: now i know you teach at berkeley online and and also usc right at what level are your students at
1: my so i have i have them all i have a couple of sections of uh songwriting one people so they are psychology majors business majors neuroscience pre-med who want to be uh, connected to some level of creativity in their life. Um, and I so much enjoy teaching uh, that class because we start from nothing, you know, and, and so there's a whole world of playfulness we can, we can have. The, um, the other section of songwriters that I teach at USC are on track to go out and many of them get deals before they leave our program at USC. So they are very, very good. Um, And we get about 450 applicants for the program at USC, the pop music program. And we take about five to seven songwriters. And uh, the same amount, of bass players, keyboard players, drummers. Um, So it's a very competitive program. But again, their track is to go out and be popular music uh, performers, really performers and songwriters in the industry. And then for Berkeley Online, again, I, I love that, uh, that cross-section of folks because they're people with life experience who either they didn't get to do music, they weren't encouraged to do it, they, you know, life took them in other directions. And the, the ability of those folks to relate their life skills to their songwriting skills and receive critique and do something with it is wonderful. So we can off, I can often get very honest with my adult students in a way that I have to be careful with my 19-year-olds.
0: One of the things that seems to happen in our business that a lot of schools don't understand, I think they're starting to come around, but if you're in this business, you're a, an entrepreneur by nature because you're making your own work you have to do it because you if you get a gig it's going to be short if that and you just mentioned your staff jobs for instance where it's short contract and i always felt that most of the schools don't emphasize that enough they emphasize the craft and maybe the art but not the entre- entrepreneurship is that part of your program
1: you know i think that's a wonderful wonderful point um we do talk about, uh, in at USC, uh, the ebb and the flow of the industry, how things have changed, you know, uh, but even if I think back to when I was 20, 22, um, you know, I had no idea, and I didn't care. I was just going to go out there, guns blazing, and make my own trail, but I had a lot of folks in the industry that were telling me that, you know, it, it, it's feast or famine, and You know, and it goes in cycles and it's unpredictable and all of that. I think that a lot of our students um, quickly respond to that and, and maybe even understand that a bit before they go out by diversifying. So many songwriters have their hands in different pots where they're, you know, under normal circumstances. They're doing a fair bit of performing. They're playing in not only their band, but someone else's band. Um, they're interested in sync, licensing opportunities, as well as staff writing opportunities. And we really emphasize um, connection. You know, the stronger your your network and, like you said, entrepreneurial, that win-win, how can I contribute rather than what can I get is core, core to what we're trying to create, I think, at uh, USC. And certainly what I want to create in my retreat retreats that I run, um, is a strong alumni community where people can support each other, even if it's just playing your new release for folks, um, and feeling like you can get some feedback on, uh, steps, refining your business plan, refining, what should I do, um, in the next, you know, 60 days to push this forward.
0: I'm glad you mentioned your retreat. That's the next place I wanted to go. So tell me about your online retreat.
1: Sure, sure. Well, the online retreat was, was never in the plans. The plan was uh, to be doing physical retreats at this point. Um, and I had never done physical retreats on my own before. I've been part of some wonderful retreats in the past. Um, Swan and Ola gathering, gathering, uh, different gatherings that offer a songwriting craft aspect, um, but never on my own. And so... Um, I felt that it was uh, it was a need um, to offer these week long retreats with many of the tools of the craft and writing opportunities um, and connection that I've been uh, uh, teaching at USC and Berkeley and uh, learning from people who've gone before me. So I felt like there was this um, hole in the industry for really strong craft teaching. I think that there's um, wonderful teaching on uh, inspiration and creativity. And, um, you know, in a retreat situation, you always feel so good when you come back from one. And there's all this great energy that most often just kind of fades, you know. So this idea of um, I keep coming back to, you know, yes, but what are the tools that you're going to be able to gather in retreats? It's it's got to be more than just the question of what inspired this song, you know. Key into that, uh, who are you as an artist? Um, it's certainly important. I'm not the one to necessarily uh, uh, teach that. I don't feel like that's enough because as a uh, educated musician and and songwriter we can go into depth with our songwriting craft just as much as we could in traditional harmony, one, two, three, and four. Um, It's just that uh, these tools um, that, uh, that are sometimes hard to access from books because the, 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 one of my favorite books is Pat Patterson's writing better lyrics. And it's an awesome, awesome book. Very, very dense and very, tough to explore all of these craft tools on your own without being in a circle of other writers who can give you feedback and, um, and try these things out. Retreats that, um, that we do, uh, online and even more so in our week long physical retreats, it's pretty heavy on, um, the craft of writing and really getting people to turn a corner and have so many more tools to problem solve. Along with an alumni community that, uh, and myself and my team, that you can rely on, you know, for for years after to keep that money going.
0: You've been doing these before, but physically, right?
1: We have not done a physical retreat. We were scheduled to start in March of this year, and of course, in March everything got shut down. Yeah, yeah. So we moved them online. We thought, well, what can we do? And the online retreat is uh, a Friday night through a Sunday evening. And so uh, it's it's a lighter version, certainly, of the physical retreat, which would be five days and in person, of course. And But in the online retreat, we do mastermind sessions where we do some song coaching one-on-one in small groups and then larger group teaching on some lyric writing concepts and uh, melody concepts that are just good foundational skills to have.
0: How does COVID play into all this since it's more difficult to be in the same room with people? How does that play into it?
1: Man, well, we've been doing a lot of, like like everybody, right, remote writing sessions. I've been getting a lot more tracks from people lately um, and sending over bits and pieces of ideas that then they'll build tracks off of and send them back. It's been interesting. I, I feel like because everybody is on the same page of this is the way it has to be, then we sort of accept it and, and move on and we're productive despite the, the times. And I'm not sure we would have gotten there had this not happened. you know. So it kind of removed the elephant in the room and just said, well, you know, we, we got to get it done. And I'm very curious to see if in the future, we continue to collaborate this way, even if we have other options. But I got to say, I will be very happy to get back into the room. Uh, with the with songwriters at retreats, because there's just something that, that uh, a, a personal quality that's difficult to bring.
0: What's the best piece of business advice that either someone imparted to you or you learned along the way?
1: Uh, this one comes up immediately. Follow the talent. Don't follow the Grammy. Don't follow the big ego. Follow the talent. So, I mean, ultimately hanging around the songwriters that you love, that you think, man, there's something that they're doing that I don't bring and I love it and I want to understand it better or just be part of it somehow. If I had taken inventory of what I do and what I don't feel comfortable doing or don't do very well, I would have not tried to do everything on my own. I would have been writing with studio session players that I just gelled with because it was fun whether or not they're songwriters or not, you know, instead I was in the room with people who had um, big names and sometimes I'd be like, why, why am I here? What is, what is, there's no chemistry going on here. So I think that would be it. Follow the talent. You know, I budget time now, I'm pretty introverted so it takes quite a lot of energy for me to get out and, and do the things that I know I need to do. So I literally have, I have my, my time blocked out on my calendar to be intro be extroverted I'm gonna go and I'm gonna write with this person and that's you know and and suggest that three-way with this other person that you know on my own maybe my writing style wouldn't necessarily be enough to keep the energy in the room but I budget those those times when I know I can't uh, when when I know that Maybe I'm not following the talent that I understand quite now, but I know it's a good business decision for me to get into that room and do that, do that project. But ultimately talent attracts talent. You know, if you keep doing the things that musically get you excited, it's about longevity and persevering in the industry. Like we talked about before, you know, it goes like this, you never know. So, but if you're, Put yourself in situations that result in good music. You know, what you think is good music, it'll come back around.
0: You can find out more about Andrea at andrea.stolpe.com. That's Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A. Stolpe is S-T-O-L-P-E. That's all one word, Andrea.stolpe.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyoinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Wasinski's Inner Circle, Go to bobbyosinski.com, select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.